This episode of Russell's podcast is brought to you once again by Squarespace. It's a beautifully simple way to create websites and even full online shops of your very own from just $8 a month or try it out at squarespace.com slash Brand. Build it beautiful. You're listening to the Russell Brand podcast, in demand and on demand. Apparently, with me is Matt Morgan. All hello. right, Matt. Oh, hello there. We're doing, I suppose, audio ball broadcasting audio again. Ball. It's audio ball. Also with us is Mr. G, poet laureate of the show. He's come along as well and is already planning to summarise this show in the form of poems. Worried about the blanket, are you? I'm a bit concerned. Why do you? Well, first of all, let's let's tell people what happened. Yeah. Someone brought you a white blanket for you to do the show. Obviously, yeah. it's a podcast. You need a white blanket. No one's going to embark on a podcast without a white blanket. That obviously <laughs> doesn't need any further explanation. No, of course. And then you acted with genuine anger. <laughs> This is the wrong blanket. <laughs> the other blanket. And then an almost identical white blanket was brought <laughs> by a flustered underling. <laughs> and that was the correct blanket, which you've now wrapped around your stomach. <laughs> What's going on with the blankets? There's several things I'd like to dispute. Firstly, the anger. I think it was veiled anger. And it wasn't very it was thinly veiled. That's why I need the blanket. To veil my true self and true emotions. <laughs> I, I mean, it's actually, I don't think, question it too much, but have a holding on to a blanket is a very, I mean, children literally do do that, don't they? Well, yeah, it's a Linus, comfort blanket. It's a cliche. Did you have one as a kid? Apparently my mum said, I like, uh, I had some little square. Like sometimes when I'm... What? Some, I think you cut it down until eventually it's just a little square. Which is what you always was <laughs> in the first place. Hang on, what? So you she got rid of blanket. your blanket by slowly... Cutting it down, it's like a so, children's story. Oh, it's like seven, like, yeah. seven, like punishment. <laughs> my blanket smaller. No, it's no, it not. Isn't. You're no, no, bigger. No. You're growing. Which I actually was. So in a way, there was a lot of truth to Maybe the whole damn shrinking. thing. Sometimes when I'm trying to uh, exaggerate the hardship of my childhood, uh, I, I, I'm challenged by. The sheer devotion <laughs> of my mother has <laughs> just saved every single, like, I went round her house the other day. She's got, like, my mum's literally, like, got a letter that my auntie Brenda wrote to uh, Ron, gone to the hospital, Babs is giving birth, Sam's dinner's in the oven, Sam was the dog. And that, uh, that piece of paper is perfectly saved. It, you couldn't Hang on, believe what was going on there? Your mum had gone to give birth to you. I was about to be born. So your mum's sister... Just an aunt. She's not a proper aunt. She's, you know, one of those I've got some posers. Of those yeah. yeah. Right. So she left a note for your dad. Yeah, that's right. Gone to the hospital to Barbara. God. Babs is going to give birth. Ron. Sam's dinner's in the oven. And that bit of paper why has was been the preserved. dinner in the oven? I don't know. That is why curious. Why was he in a hot dinner? <laughs> and why was that the chief concern? Not, she's in labour. It's her first child. You're the father. <laughs> Where are you? If you do worry, then just know this. The dog's <laughs> dinner is in the oven. The whole, even for a note that only has 15 words on it, it's topsy-turvy oh, and a bizarre. lot of questions, doesn't it? I mean, mm. from a time where, obviously now, you'd just text him, wouldn't you? Yeah, that would but, be a text. That would be gone forever. Where are the, the sacred and sacrosanct objects and fetishes for our children? I mean, what were you asking? Fetishes asked? for our children, screams Brand. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, just a little one, little blanket, <laughs> a little hole in it. Oh, oh swaddle him up, swaddle him up. My mum, when I was a kid, when something got broken in our house because there was four kids and things, she used to go, "Oh, nothing sacred in this house." Yeah, that's a common refrain. But like, nothing of sacred. Of course, it bloody isn't. What on earth Why would, would it be? be? Yeah, it's a family home in Dartford. What's <laughs> going to be sacred? Oh, the holy sideboard. <laughs> Look at, regard the altar. <laughs> Thames Television <laughs> showing rainbow. Pebble Mill. <laughs> Pebble Mill, I think, if we have got any American listeners, the point where we say Pebble Mill might be the point where they depart. I mean, of the people in the room... I mean, Pebble it was Mill. a daytime TV show. How did they get away with Kelly that? Kelly and you must have gone on some American daytime TV it shows. It was the equivalent of the one show in England, or yeah, something like Kelly and Regis and Kelly, or Regis, Kelly and Michael. They switch people out these days. Do they? Yeah, it's a, like an ex-athlete. I think an ex-footballer now does it with Kelly. What's Kelly it like dominates doing him. American daytime TV. I try to bring my true personality to bear if I can. Oh dear. Yeah, it's not gone well. So they don't show your bits then? <laughs> no, no, no. They're <laughs> just, swiftly just removed the man under from a the final broadcast. Coming up, this blanket. Here's a 39 year old man <laughs> who's very particular about the blanket he arrives in. Don't question why he's in a blanket at all. The other thing my mum had preserved was uh, the bit of paper. That says like this lad's like I didn't even have a name. It says in the child's name, infant of Barbara. I was nameless. Like so, think how new oh. person I was. I mean, it, like the nostalgia, it crushed me. Not to mention then there's all the photographs of me with ex-girlfriends. Not from the infant days, of course. Oh, God, she's it. kept. She has not kept a, a picture of each, has she? Not that, a picture. She'd of, have to. This she'd have, to have a whole new wing of her house. <laughs> <laughs> Your mum must have been introduced to more women than anyone on the planet ever. I remember when you went, uh, like, I'm not, I, can't, I can't be bothered to get an enthusiasm together to meet these people. Oh, here she is, Miss Never Gonna See Her Again. <laughs> I remember when you had that murder mystery around your house. That, here's this woman. I love her. Oh, yeah. You'll never see her again. <laughs> <laughs> You're, yeah, go on. Your mum's kept pictures like, of well, it, it's The about- early ones. Many, many, but like what her favourites. I want to make a point about archaeology. Of course, we think of the Stone Age as the Stone Age just because stone don't perish, or the Bronze Age as the Bronze Age just because they found bronze things. They probably had loads more things that are made out of sticks and paper, but that just a decayed. Point well made. So, What's... like the whole picture we have of history is based not on any objective truth but on the artefacts discovered. I even became more sentimental and nostalgic about the, the particular girlfriends that were preserved because there were photographs of them for me to attach like a mandala, the feelings of sentimentality, to girls that I might have loved more just because the photo itself served as a jog for these sort of emotions. And I'll tell you what, mate, the nostalgia, it, I, it sort of oscillated between total nihilism. I thought, I can't cope with this feeling. Everything's really? going by. Nostalgia means illness, doesn't it? It's Is like... it? Uh, yeah, algia means like oh, no. it's a sickness caused it's by a sickness. Algia, yeah. Dan will look it up. Find out what algia means, Dan, because uh, I suspect Matt's made a terrible. No, no, <laughs> not on the topic of hypochondria. This is <laughs> oh yeah, so I come down with, with nostalgia daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but I always wonder with archaeology, they ascribe a lot of things to sort of a religious belief, and this must have just been one of their beliefs, right? And you just think probably not, because most objects are practical. Yeah, what, most what, things are practical. Yeah. And they often say this must have been a cult use, or you know, like they they just come up with stuff. Things I've seen they can't Baldrick understand. in a field coming He's up with a claptrap. 
furrowing around. What I understand about time, Tim, is they've put the time limit on themselves that they we've got to close trench two by Sunday. They they, they could just if they found just something really offer. interesting, just don't close it and keep going. Yeah, but that's tr- yeah, but that's true of everything, isn't it? Like, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> if you don't answer this question, you can't have the million quid. Oh, give us it anyway. <laughs> like, I don't understand the, formats. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> you want to live in some anarchic world of sprawling meaninglessness. Who wants to be a millionaire? I do. There you go. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> who else? <laughs> me, me. <laughs> what am I supposed to take from that cough? What did, why did you go to your mum's house and go through all her archaeology? Exactly. Why did I? Because what it's done is it's planned me with remorse and despair and made me think well they basically thought I'm getting married yeah and I don't know who to yet but someone's getting it did you go for all the photos just choose one at random <laughs> well not random but yes really well you know yes well there's a photo around your mum's house of some ex-girlfriend yeah. you've now selected as a future wife what's wrong with that system <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't take into account what she's been up to for 20 odd years. Sir, no system is perfect, but it's the best people have got. Online etymology dictionary. Algia. Word forming element denoting pain from Greek algos, pain, algin to feel pain of unknown origin. We don't know where this word come from. One day someone just piped up algae and everyone just yeah let's go with it man let's get behind this told guy you. Right. You. that's your whole start well, of life is it kicked told off you. this investigation <laughs> and now it's come back it's not positive a report. <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to no, dig down no because we saw the answers <laughs> yeah so uh, right, yeah go on so. so I have been plunged somewhat into a realm of nostalgia and despair um, but like I suppose what all of these things point to really is uh, you know Adulthood, getting older. Yeah, getting older. You're growing up. Yeah. What? So, I don't know what my mum's kept of me. Barely anything. I did once find one of those little tags, you know, when you're born and you have a thing on your wrist. On your little baby wrist. Oh, they're so small. Oh, Pathetic. Little guys we were. Son of Barbara. Good. Son of Sue. <laughs> Hello, son of Sue. Well, I'd like to see you put that little baby breast around your winky woo, son of Sue, son of Sue, Sue, Sue. Uh, all right, so yeah, I suppose what I'm trying to uh, get to in a structured way is uh, I've been I've got a goddaughter. Her name is Minnie. She's Nicola's daughter. I've been taking her out. I've took her to the theatre. I've took her to the zoo. I'm thinking of asking her to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've t- I'm taking her out places. Right. In what? Public I like transport? being on my own, taking a kid to the theatre. Yeah. It's very. It's good focus. Like, because the child, you've got this, they're magical little creatures, aren't they? She's staring at the, the stage. She's really into it. I went to see The Curious Boy of the Dog and the Night. Watched it with Minnie. She's the well banging into it. Curious Boy of the Dog and the Night. Same like that. <laughs> curious incident of the Dog and the Night. That's it. And she, she was very sort of. focused on it. Was she? Oh, she was ever so into it. Also, when you're with a kid, no, I don't have to have my photo done. Why? Because I just go with the kid. Uh, right, so someone comes up to you and says, can I have a photo? You go, no, hey, I'd love to, but the kid. Look at this kid. i got to take care of this kid. What um, what's, are you like? What's the relationship? So are you like sort of Inspector Gadget, wacky uncle? Yeah, hey, Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going for the very much the Inspector Gadget format. It's really developed because when she was little, she was basically terrified of me. Like, so, like, I couldn't establish proper rapport because I was too much of a sort of a looming psychopathic Tim Burton character. Right. Sort of with branches for fingers. Yes, well, we've all felt that. 
Right. Well, I'm trying to. Luckily, she's learned to accept it now, and like, I think right. she enjoys the idea that I'm a bit wacky and a bit out there. We went to the zoo. <clears throat> we started off with like, you know, I thought we was going to meet a chimp. They don't even have chimps there anymore. Thought we might meet an elephant. They don't have elephants when you there say no meet, more. What does that mean? Get right near it and maybe touch Did it. Did you have special treatment where you like take taken around by someone? Normal treatment mostly. Then right. towards the end, as is often the case, someone will come up to you and offer you a bit of special treatment. Like, and, but do you know what? Yeah, met up to you like some special treatment. <laughs> come in the lizard house for some special treatment. <laughs> if a special treatment, you'll have to step this way, son. Do you want to touch an elephant? Yes, please. What about they did do that at London Zoo? They let people you still have can. parties there at night. And uh, well, in this, in my mind, dress up the animals and ride on them. Well, that's the bit you did in your mind. Once you've introduced that it's in your mind, Matthew, that's what's called imaginary. I meant to say to my mind, which no, sort well, of implies that I'm right. Well, it does to imply it, but it isn't it. Not in the case where you think that at London Zoo, a beloved institution, allowed late night parties where people could dress up and possibly make love to <laughs> the exhibits <laughs> in the zoo. It's something like that. They it's found not that, little Matt. feather boas and monocles they, they and stuff. Were, they did. They found bits and pieces. <laughs> Who was wearing that? A giraffe? Probably. And a monocle. Yeah. All those things. A giraffe's very easy to imagine dressed up. They're not very easy to get a monocle on a giraffe. I mean, unless it's up for it. And it no, just and unless you put some very adhesive gum on the back of the monocle, which is going to undermine its function as a magnifying device, then clack it right on the eye. No, I'm talking about getting up there to put it on. That's all right. Worry about the platform. glue. There's a platform. Lure it over with a few branches. Bang, monocle. Now you're up a class giraffe. <laughs> You've been there and done you're this. You're up a class giraffe. Yeah, go nice? on. So you're at the zoo with an eight-year-old girl. No, don't, look, well, don't say it as if it's the... It, like, I'm... Uh, for the benefit of the tape, Mr. Brand <laughs> is attending this interview voluntarily. So you, uh, okay, Mr. Brand, talk us through it. You were at the zoo with an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, like in the end, uh, like the special treatment amounted to meeting an animal what no one's ever even heard of, called something like it's like it was something like a marmoset, and it weren't even that because I've heard of that. It was called like a, a nibble scrape. No, it sounded like a, it like it was like an animal. It had some sort of kutzpah about its name. It was called like a jazz bunny. I mean, it like it was. What? <laughs> no, it, like, happening? No, like oh, what was he called? It sounded like a Yiddish word. I remember thinking it, but it was basically a ferret. And then when that thing wouldn't come out of its little cat basket, <laughs> they went and got a ferret. And that ferret <laughs> was an arsehole. It flew at the bloke. Like, really? you know, he was trying to be brave about it, but it literally, with all its might, a ferret is just a slivery little arrow of hatred, if, if it in the yeah, wrong yeah. mood. And it just went and affixed Bit itself him. to the guy's wrist. And the bloke, he was trying to buff. You know, this, that, that sort of nature, you know, like the mood of a dog yeah, walker. He's just bitten me, but that's quite normal. That's, that's quite off. normal. Don't be alarmed uh, by that. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's because he's not in his habitat. It was affixed to his wrist there. And like yeah. me and Minnie were just sat back. I'll tell you something. I had no interest in touching them animals. Like Minnie, she had a little touch of each one, but I was like... Take Why it or leave are you it, more mate? immature than the eight-year-old in this story? Then we saw the penguin. Then we met an animal. Don't even know it was cool. <laughs> then I bit the blood. I didn't want to touch it. What was Minnie doing? Going, Come on, Russell. They're being really nice to us at the zoo. We must learn to harmonise with nature. Now we may all question the ethics of a zoo because, of course, we are imprisoning these animals. But conservation is an important aspect of what happens. Then we went in the penguin enclosure. That was more fun. You went in the enclosure. Yeah. Oh, that's right not up fair. by the penguins, and they Why all. Why do you get all these good things you can out come. of Just because? Oh yeah. How am I going to come? Just when I go, come. All oh, right. Well, you didn't tell me. I didn't want you there. <laughs> 
Go on then, tell us about the penguins. They clustered around me. I Did felt they? It was all right, because I was thinking of Morgan Freeman. Well, the penguins, like, they all come clustering up. I bet you can do a good Morgan Freeman as a... Well, I'd like to say... Only because I learned it from of, uh, Terry. Uh, that, that, the fella that can do the impressions out of the yeah. mimic. Yeah. Go on then, do some... I just did it! Yeah, but you were, taught, you were being Shawshank Redemption. I'd like to say that Andy was a good man. That's still Shawshank Redemption. Penguins. What? Oh, right. Penguins. <laughs> that's mm, much better. Penguins. Is that good? That's very good, that, Matthew. It's not bad, is it? Because when someone does an impression of something, it's teaching you how to do the impression. When you like, Yeah, I hung around it? with an impressionist because I made a show with one. And yeah, you learn... Most impr- like it's easier to do an impression of someone's impression because they've already turned it into a caricature. Right. But there was quite a few, like um, David Attenborough. How does he do that? The long metamorphosis. Oh, you oh, just got a, you got a strain, have you? Oh bloody hell! <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, I'm David Attenborough, a racist Japanese guy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they strike your back to the bad old days. Oh, hey, stop. I'm not your man for my village. I'm gonna get it back. <laughs> <laughs> what did they steal from the village? Monument. It's always that in, the, <laughs> in martial arts films. There's always something that's been stolen from a village. And then hey, someone. All these monuments are going alright, or the little pebbles out of Indiana Jones. Pebbles? Yeah, it's pebbles. They had that of Indiana Jones. Five kinder eggs, lines around the middle of them. They went missing, and suddenly Indiana Jones got out of an argument with that little kid in a turban. And Mola uh, Ram, yes. more besides. All because of just five sacred stones. But I suppose, in a way, they were just symbols of unity MacGuffins. and relationship with the earth or whatever it was. They're called MacGuffins. They're MacGuffins. It's a MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin. It's a movie to technique. Would you say your blanket's a MacGuffin? There's no way the blanket's a MacGuffin, sir. I got this in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I've carried right, it around the world on, with me. Let's go back to the zoo. Okay, never again. Not after what I've done with penguins. Um, like, so, uh, yeah, the penguins, they all clustered around me. One bit me, but after I'd seen that fella front out with a ferret, there was no way I was going to fold. Did it hurt? Because I've... A bit, it was more just the horror of seeing a penguin close its beak. <laughs> the horror? <laughs> well, the horror of it of clamping down its beak. seeing a tiny, cartoon, cheeky little bird close its beak on you your You say own. that, Matthew. You say that, but in all earnestness, like when a small beast of any description turns on you, it's alarming. E.g., when I uh, I was at Adam Venet, he's a Hollywood agent's big house in Beverly Hills, and like a bird got in their house. Because I suppose they're Hollywood folks, they were all astonished, and they were flapping. Let's make a movie about this. <laughs> this could never happen in real life. Oh my God, get the camera, call Cecil be the Mill. Now they were like sort of, they were astonished by the intrusion of nature, even in its most mundane form. Little tiny cute bird. I, with my blanket and that, and in Francis of Assisi form, well good. I like just went up the bird. I catched it in my hand. Did you? Honest. Like I don't know, it was up by the curtains. Then I. Uh, let it free in the garden. And them lot was really impressed. Like, they were God, that was incredible how you did that with a bird. You're like Mowgli. Like, they really thought I'd forged You should have milked it a bit more. You should have held it and held it up to your ear and gone, yes, I know. And then In the go. moment of release, Matthew, I did very much try as if I was releasing in a dream. You know? Like, I tried yeah. to go, go free, my little buddy. Like, you know what I mean? I outstretched <laughs> it like that. After this had happened, I bet when you were on your own, you Bloody hell, I did it, and that was amazing. Normally, they'd just scream and shit on me. <laughs> Matthew, you're quite right. I yielded to hubris, and that is why when one day later, the tiniest, cutest little mouse you can imagine was in my house. He was adorable. It was about the size of a Malteser. 
Like he was so little, he couldn't even get long. He was mostly spherical little mouse. He was adorable, little tiny nose. He was in the corner. I guess Morrissey, my cat, must have bought him in the house in Los Angeles. And I thought, oh. I was fresh off this experience. I was full of With the pride. Bird. I was pumped. Yeah. I thought, I can't be stopped. This is an animal. That was an animal. I can do what I want. I can intervene. I can navigate the animal and human kingdoms effortlessly. Does this end in a little Maltese-sized mouse dying? <laughs> Not just one mouse. Because <laughs> if you cross me, like, I reached into him to like he was into there in... him. <laughs> Jesus Christ! He's only the size of a Malteser. <laughs> wearing him like a wedding ring. I reached into his environment. Right. I reached into his environment to sort of pluck him out of the corner and place him neatly in front of him. A little prick bit me, and it. Oh, he bit you. It was so I was I was astonished and put out by it. Well, he's only doing it because he doesn't know that you're not trying to kill him. He's not, like, making a judgment. He should have known about the bird, I thought. <laughs> like the previous this guy's fingers stink of birds. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, dear. I so, didn't mean that, actually. So, yeah. like, he didn't seem to care. He bit me, and I was very... I was infuriated and embarrassed. So, like, it's almost... Look, we have a relationship with the animal kingdom that don't entirely relate to the actual threat, but just the frequency of an animal. I mean, like, when you see a mouse in the house, it's horrible. Or when another cat comes in through the cat flap, I think, what is he doing in here? You know, it really browns me off. Well, I took my son to feed some ducks, and the ducks, like... With me, they'll, they'll be scared of the size of me, but with him, they sort of see him as an equal... And if he's not sprinkling the bread quick enough, they'll t- come and get it out of his hand. And one of them bit him, right? Just like out of haste yeah, and Yeah, I felt terrible. And then I held some bread and it bit me, but it didn't hurt at all because their beak has no... It's just rubbish. It's just like two bits of plastic clacking on your hand. Could they not exert enough pressure? They couldn't exert any pressure from what I could see. I've never been a great respecter of ducks. And with that... (laughs) (laughs) He put on his blanket and he marched right out of all our lives. There's not one of us who wasn't affected by Russell's stand that he took that day. Listen to Russell and Matt Have a chit-chat With Norberokin on his head well, obviously, this podcast is funded commercially, so uh, these are the commercials that fund it. Um, now, you might think, oh, Russell Brand, this great anti-capitalist figurehead, very much the Chigavara of our time, very much a modern icon of bringing down all things corrupt and financial, and here he is about to do an advert. Well, I'm not. Matt's doing it, and we're only doing that because the fund We want this. this to be free for you guys. And there's no way we'd do it for free because we're capitalists. <laughs> so simply, there's got to be an advert, and obviously I've found a way around it by not reading it out, and here is that ad. This podcast brought to you by Squarespace, who will help you build beautiful websites and online stores for just $8 a month. Don't worry if you've never built one before. It's simple to use. There are plenty of templates to start from and the support staff are around for a chat 24-7. Try it out at squarespace.com slash Russell Brand. You're listening to the Russell Brand podcast with Russell and Matt. What I wanted to say is a new thing. You were talking, Matthew, about your experience with your boy there feeding ducks. Did you want to add anything to the... Did you get farvely? I'd punch a duck if it done that. Yeah, well, firstly, you're a vegetarian. Some, someone who works with Peter, aren't you? Or Peter, or however you say. For him. Oh, I thought they'd given you sexist vegetarian or something. Mate, that's they can they can Be- remark on my sexiness all they will. I owe them no loyalty. Oh, really? I don't eat animals out of love, and I try my best to improve. And I'm heading in my mind towards veganism. 
Right, but you'd still punch a duck for it, eating I'd, bread out of your hand a bit too... <laughs> Even if it didn't. Voraciously. <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, you do. You get very... Yeah, you do. Like, if, if we're in the park once and a dog came really close to him and sort of <laughs> all round him, and it was... I'm quite scared of dogs because I was attacked by one as a child. I know, I know. And... Um, yeah, I, I did know. want to kick the dog. And then the owner, because the owner didn't... Care enough. Didn't care enough at all. Showed no But you have to hold concern. that down. I've got a friend who kicked a goat in a petting zoo <laughs> because it bit his daughter's that hand. That crosses the line of petting. He kicked it and it, it was... <laughs> like it made a really <laughs> awful noise and flew back quite far. So created a scene where parents were like, what earth did you do that for? And he went, look at her hand. And she had the tiniest red dot on her little finger. It's got to be more than the red dot for that. If you hear a noise from a goat that crosses the line of conventional goat language, which we're all used to hearing, that, I yeah. can hate, take that. Anything that goes into, ah, hold on a minute, was that a goat? Yeah. But then and then you, you look around and see dot. a goat flailing around, rolling across the floor, where it's just been booted right in the head. I don't feel a lot of sympathy for goats in general. I mean, as a vegetarian and an animal lover, sometimes when you take them on an individual basis, I was when I was down that ashram and I was dealing with some goats, they were up for it. They're, like, they vibe next to a sheep. You can see why sheep have been absolutely kowtowed by the human race. They're idiots. They've, made, they've got no get up and go. Goats, they've got some spunk about them. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But... But my point well, they're is, aggressive, aren't they, goats? Yeah, they're up for it, aren't they? I mean, if you think the hybrid of a man and a goat, Pan, he's a right troublemaker. But <clears throat> I can't hold that against them. I don't blame them for our myths. <laughs> oh, I've seen you. I've course. seen you being Pan's legs. <laughs> <laughs> In a drawing. <laughs> Monument from the village. That got me. Um... Well, look, you know my cat Morrissey, he's lived I hope he's lived in nine houses now. Jesus, has nine he? Nine houses for a cat, maybe ten if you include one of the ones I didn't include. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't Including really. this one that he lives in now, my house here. And uh, Have you always lived no, because he lived in LA when you didn't I had to come back before him. I was you know, I had to get back. And he like, was still doing movies. He was still out there. I mean, he was doing very well. John Hughes and, and Morrissey had a great relationship. They had a free picture deal. Morrissey had to complete his last picture. But I was whooped out after a flop. But one of the places, like, I feel guilty, you know, because I first abandoned him to go and do Sarah Marshall. And that's when uh, the lady that looked after my house at that time, lovely lady, Lynn, cut his balls off or at least sanctioned the cutting of his balls off yeah that's why Morrissey ain't got little black bumblebee balls no more because Lynn chopped off I was furious when I come home because I liked him with those balls did she not check that with you nope off came the balls he was, apparently you're he was meant to do it though, aren't doing you? musk all over stuff but I didn't mind the musk even to be honest though. Yeah. well <laughs> anyway like then eight like so he's lived in eight more houses various girlfriends various folk across the globe some fancy houses he's been in, fancy country piles, whatnot. Yeah, but what's the point of being in a fancy house if your balls have been cut off? Good point, mate. That's exactly why the pair of us left. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> couldn't have put it more succinctly, pal. There's a joke about marriage for you there. Uh, you might enjoy that if you're one of the adults still enduring this uh, podcast. <laughs> um, nowadays... I've had to fit a cat flap on the bathroom window. I don't want Morrissey going out of the front of the house because that way he could have stumbled upon a bathroom on about busy... the third floor? That's right. It's on the third floor. So he has to jump down a series. You've seen Coronation Street. They How go from rooftop out? to rooftop. 
Like, like rooftop to rooftop, he jumps down and he lands on someone's next door's terrace, I suppose you'd call it. Does he? And then can from he do that it? terrace, he can get into a square. How did you know he could do that before you put in the cat flap? What if he just, just jumped out? <laughs> because I evaluated it from cat, my knowledge of cat behaviour. I thought cat flaps are always on the ground floor, so they just walk out. I know and go it's an innovation. I'm not saying I'm not an innovator. This is the kind of I'm saying I've found new frontiers for the cat, and my relationship with the cat is deep. So I opened up those cat flaps. There's one on the. He can get up on the roof one way. He can get out onto that. So he's terrace. got freedom. As best he can. If the house has got portals for the cat to live as best he can, a full life. Now. The other night, I heard a racket on the terrace. Morrissey come darting in. I've allowed myself to become involved in his conflicts. Because, like, if Morrissey's in a conflict, as far as I'm concerned, I'm in a conflict. Yeah. That's the way I see I'm it. I'm building a very important picture here of yeah. your relationship with the animal kingdom. Go on. You What's treat them as people. You... See goats, right? And you're sort of like, yeah, they're up for it. They will never fight. They will never fight. Me. That ferret, I've never even heard of it. He's a prick, right? And, and I read this story ends in you getting out there uh, and a, a cat that's fighting with your cat, like a mum going up the school. You come here. You come here, please. Now, why has my cat got a scratch on his ear? It's you, isn't it? They pick us up your own size. He hasn't even got bumblebee bollocks anymore. But you've got bollocks. Come here. Who's your? I know where you live. Oh. Is that what you've been doing? It's a version of that. Because initially, what happened was, I threw a cup of water out the the top window above the cat flap. Now that because my house is a warehouse. Excuse me. That window, it don't open properly. So my hand hit it. The glass smashed in my hand. It got. It went too far. Look, I was trying to bottle the you cat. You need a carer. <laughs> Someone needs to live here full time. <laughs> Trying to throw water out onto a cat and you <laughs> smash the glass on your hand. I live in a warehouse. <laughs> Frost. So it actually did cut my hand worse than any red dot from a goat bite. Something should have been done. Yeah. I felt embarrassed, obviously. And in I, front I, of who? I bruised my knuckles, just me and the other cats. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not a cat, I, I accept that now. I've learned to see myself as not a cat through the therapeutic process. So I'll go and laugh it up, guys, yeah. Because <laughs> let me tell you, you've won the battle, but you ain't won the war, because there's plenty more glasses in my drawer. So I, then, like, this is another battle. That's just one battle. That one went wrong. But the cat, it heard the sound and it ran away. Morrissey seemed relaxed and he seemed so like So chalked that protected. up as a victory. The, he was, heard the sound of me smash a glass <laughs> in my hand and scream in pain like a woman. I didn't, and he <laughs> ran away. And so who was there the were real? some cuts and bruises, and I, I, I'll take a blow. Never day, there was a fox. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never day. That was in Holland. <laughs> I was at the Anne Frank Museum, and it was heroin. Another day, I, I, I looked out there. Morrissey come in. I could tell something had gone awry. So what? I took it this time more careful with the window, knowing that the previous occasion it can be a stubborn, uh, uh, it can be a stubborn aperture. So I right. went to it more caution. I peeked out. There's a fucking fox up there. A fox. <gasps> a fox. A fox and a cat together. Where's that happen? Pinocchio. Who wins? Be careful. Who wins over fox? fox? Because it's like it's wily, isn't it? <clears throat> but a fox on a balcony. The fox isn't on ground floor level. It's on a first floor level. A fox on first floor level. That's like the one that's on the bloody Glacier Mint. It's crossing all sorts of boundaries. Christ. Up there on the first floor level of Fox. So, well, I threw a glass do? of water. Then another <laughs> night... <laughs> Is that your only attack? No. 
It isn't actually, because another night I see two cats up there and I thought, what are they doing ganging up on my... Two glasses of water. <laughs> no. What? What I've done Is was... Is this something you want to uh, admit to? We can cut it if it's weird. Okay, go on. I set fire to some tissues from <laughs> out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Chemical war. That set could fire have burnt some... your whole building down and the cats would have laughed and watched you and you'll go... They ran away. You ran away from the flames. <laughs> I'm this one, I'll be back. <laughs> well, I, the way I see it, Matthew, a cat don't understand man's red fire. It's going to flee. And yeah. it did. Yeah, it would have hang on, from hang on. So you threw burning tissue paper at two cats. They do it in prisons as a tribute. This is fucking mental. <laughs> what do they do in prisons? Well, don't they drop bits of things out of the windows as a tribute? As a tribute to what? I don't know, Abba? perhaps a prison. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? As a tribute, perhaps, to a respected leg who's died on the wing, Is which robbed some burning things out the window. They did in that Guildford 4 film, Name of the Father, and I believe I've heard that that is, is a, a thing. custom. Mm. Right. That's right, Matthew. Yeah, that's right. That's my understanding of the situation. That, this is mental stuff. What do you think that makes me look like as a man? Well... What do you mean? If someone saw it from the window or just you <laughs> telling us? Just the overview. The overview is deeply disturbing and worrying. Why? Well, it shows me as a sort of, you know, amateur psychiatrist <laughs> <laughs> that you, there's some other struggle that you've let be represented by cats. Well, I love him. No, you're, yeah. You think I'm acting out some sort of psychodrama from my youth? Yes, no, I just think some deep-rooted psychological damage you're trying to reflect Why or you're projecting onto cats. psychological damage and not a bit of cat? What? Stick up for your brother cats. Yeah, but... I'll do, do it know? for you, I'll do what it for G. G the what the if those here? cats are Morrissey's friends and they're just like, <laughs> he's falling in with a bit of a rough crowd and you are like an embarrassing mum... He's probably like, yeah, what, see you later, guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't worry about him. Yeah, he's all right. He's just got a glass of water. He won't throw it this time. And then you go, oh, thank goodness they've left you alive. Morrissey, let me throw some water at them. I know, burning tissue. And they're probably like, Morrissey's dad's a bit weird, isn't he? <laughs> what about if I ever have actual children? Oh, my God. You'll be up the school for everything, wouldn't you? So what happens when you're out with an eight-year-old and you had to go to the toilet with them that was what first time I took her in the men's toilet it, that was it it was okay because it was a not. posh hotel oh that's alright it was a posh sort of place I just put her in the cubicle I'm not in the cubicle I'm just in the environment to make there. sure that she's safe then we're at the theatre now that was a different setup. like there was urinals and a loud air machine for drying your hands yeah, I, I would, yeah. it there seemed I'd like a very her... butch environment it's hard though isn't it because if you send her into the women's toilets you, I suppose if you stand out, it's, it's all very awkward because you're just a man standing outside. Well, you're not just a man, you're Russell Brand, so people will actually recognise you standing outside the women's toilets. I went in the women's. Did you? See, I wouldn't that have done that. I enjoyed that. more, to be honest, because I didn't like seeing Minnie's. Uh, she was uh, unsettled by the male environment. I mean, people, because men stand in full vision, weeing. Yeah, that's not right. Flanked by one another, of course. She was flanked. What was she trying to use? <laughs> urinal? No, don't do that, my darling. You've not got the correct giblet. Um, no, yeah, I, it's difficult, isn't in it? In the women's one, I enjoyed being in there because what I felt like was I had a passport to the women's toilet. And not to say That's that... not the right reason to be in there. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, you can't do me for it. It's an eight-year-old girl in there having a wee-wee. Come on, don't be shy, love. <laughs> <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Sadly, that's right. 
Look, we both watched this Molly Deneen documentary inspired by my visit to the zoo. You watched it too. Yeah. Molly Deneen, The Ark, made in the early 90s, a documentary about London Zoo while it went through. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, while London Zoo was going through a critical period of having its funding withdrawn, going from being a profitable enterprise, and new management structures introduced, requiring the zoo to lose a third of its staff and a third of its animals. And Molly Deneen, a very great filmmaker, covers this period. First thing that struck me is that something that took place in 1993 looked like it was 1974. Our perspective is ridiculous. Like, people were wearing beige, everyone's trousers was rubbish, their it cuts looks, were all over the game. It gas. does look like, like if you just watched a bit of it, you'd go, oh, that's 1979, maybe yeah. 1984, or something like that. 1993. I was alive in 1993. I could have strolled into that, into the back of frame as a 16-year-old. You know what? 18. What, what struck me that's as well. That's ridiculous. Yeah, you were 18, I was 16, yeah. That's I was an eighteen-year-old. I basically was like you this. You could have worked there. You could have been in the documentary. I'd as have been an adult. better off than what I was doing, just flanneling around like a <laughs> pillock. <laughs> also, you wouldn't be allowed to work with animals. Now we've uncovered your true feelings. I hadn't done those things yet. Ah, you would have been driven to it. Maybe I'd have gone down another road, like Biff in Back to the Future Two. Yes, things may have come off of me <laughs> if I'd worked down that zoo. But let's not get sidetracked because it was a very fine documentary. I enjoyed like the sort of uh, social aspects of it, seeing because like Molly Deneen made it brilliantly. So it's like the zookeepers as much look like inmates as the uh, the animals yeah. themselves, and you brings calls to question the ethics behind zoos. Is it right to have them? Because then, then and then, the well, thing I really like, Matt, is when he said, well, when they first started zoos, how when they started London Zoo, one of the best zoos has ever been, or whatever. They just sent out a letter to the British embassies going, send us your most curious beasts. We're beginning a zoo. Send stuff right away. And they sent over a load of animals from around the world. No one knew what to do with it, what it ate, how to look after it. Some bloody great big like sea lion would arrive. And they'd just go, oh, I don't know, give it a damn sandwich. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people didn't know what to do with them. It's mental, isn't it? And they said it was mostly working class blokes that had agricultural experience. Like the, 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 the idea of the educated academic zoologist didn't come around till later the first and it's that, that apparently that tradition still works in zoos and zoology well not in the zoology but like in the in the well in the zoo world of like either you're a hands-on kind of guy that will smack a gorilla in the guts if it plays you up or you're like oh no it's got psychological problems but i'm just saying it's very it was very interesting to see the you know we take an institution like london zoo and just think oh it's always been there we don't think of the provenance and the well paraphernalia and what went yeah. into it yeah oh. and it's also like in that documentary well, one thing I was struck by is how people uh, have learnt how to behave when they're being filmed because of reality yeah. TV. So in that, people are just unchecked. and it's un brilliant. Yeah. And she's, you hear her say a couple of times, like, oh, don't worry, no one's going to see this for a year because they're talking about their jobs and who gets the sack. And, they're, you know, they obviously mm. a bit guarded because it's work, right? Yeah. But, you know, the way people now know, oh, I'm the wacky guy. I'm going to say this. This is what's happening. And just yeah. being aware of the camera and yeah. all that stuff. We know just the weren't. grammar. Everyone, everything's overproduced. The clever thing she did as well is she she filmed people a lot when they were getting ready. So you, you, saw, you were able to observe behavior yeah. and mannerisms. When people are getting ready, they're not so self-conscious. It was really, really good. But there's some uh, good characters in there. And the character that I like most, I can't remember his name, but he was like the, the top manager guy that was brought in to make these cuts and spoke yeah. in a, quite a brutal way. And he and I was convinced that, that there's a, a, a sketch in Brass Eye where Chris Morris <clears throat> is, I think, running a boy's home, a yeah, like ball is, store yeah. or whatever, and he sort of talks about, if you have a fly and you pull its wings off, you've got its full attention. Like in yeah, there, it's definitely, there's some sort of, I don't know if it's a exact, like he you know based it on that, 
But he did do zoology, so he probably at university, Chris Morris. So yeah, he probably had seen that documentary. But because that guy, I liked him. I, like, really? Like, well, I didn't like him as a person, but I liked him as a character, and I liked, I liked him mostly because of the way he spoke about his children. Like, yeah, I've got two. Like, and she goes, and when he goes, because he was talking about making these cuts at the zoo, having terrible impact on the lives of the animals and the lives of the staff that work there. Well, they're just going to have to learn to cope. If you take a person from their job of thirty years, yeah, he's, he's very matter of fact. Thatcherite sort of bloke, isn't he? Who's this come in? Idea of specialisation has to end. You'll have to be able to look after the lizards, the pterodactyls, the pigs, whatever I push you towards. It was ma- it's mad though, because there's people who've got a relationship with an elephant they've had for 20 years, and yeah. the elephant trusts them. He's just like, sack them. We'll just get someone from the birds department to run. You know, it was just like, there you go. So obvious what they're doing. Basically, wrong. a bird, but with four legs <laughs> and a long, trunk. floppy beak. A giant flightless bird. Now get in there and give it a donut or whatever the hell it eats. When he talks about his kids, it's that funny. That killed me. When he talks about his kid, like a... Because uh, she, she goes, to, like obviously struck by the man's cold brutality, the filmmaker yeah. goes, do you, uh, do you talk to your... Do you bring your children up like this? Yes, I do. They're fully expecting him to go, of course oh, not, God, they're children. No, they're children. I love them. How on earth would a child cope with something? Worse. Like that? I'm worse to my children. <laughs> I really lean into those. I mean, my... Son, Basil, he's, uh, he's just going to be a professional. He's a middle-of-the-road guy. He'll be lucky if he succeeds at all. But Serafina, my daughter, she's a leader. She's got real qualities. Yeah, he's, yeah so he says, Ser- but Serafina was, uh, she was selling pine cones to, um, what was it? Like, where people arrive on a boat or something, wherever they live. In the village, she was selling pine cones. She was doing face painting. She's making a pound a time. She made 40 but pounds. Two, he reckons she was selling pine cones to visitors at the age of two. She sounds an horrible, his child Serafina. Also, it's a very grandiose name, Serafina. But Serafina, yeah. by my reckoning... He's probably hold on a minute. She's about twenty-eight or something. Yeah, I, I do think that she's out there. So she's the, a he leader. doesn't say the boy's name, I don't think. But Serafina and her brother, he's held up as like, well, he'll go this way because he's got no get up and go. He'll just be a professional. He'll. But Serafina, we've never heard of her, have we? There's no, no one in the public eye called Serafina who's captured the imagination, and I'd like to find out. Serafina, daughter of the bloke from the Ark, we can probably track her down. If you know her, you can email us on russellandmatt at audioboom.com or just go to audioboom.com, record a message, or leave us a voicemail message on 0203 515 Two seven. That's good, isn't it? People, we could track a person down. Yeah, we can we reach. Should, we can use this to do what we want. We can dabble around in the world. Oh no! What if people listen to this and they know, like, they live around here and their cats live around here, and they'll find out about my tissue bombing. That's very I'm specific. A tissue bomber. Very specific. What is? Well, that's. I mean, that's what percentage of our listeners a live around here and b have the cats that you threw burning tissue. <laughs> Probably what do you mean? That's a small subset. Zero. <laughs> yeah. They might, because they might think I've seen him around the neighbourhood. How many cats have you thrown tissue at to be worried about that? One, two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, we want to track down Serafina. Her dad, what's her dad's name? Yeah, what's her name? Serafina, the oh, arc, Molly Deneen. I'd like to talk to Molly Deneen. I'd you like met her to, once, uh, you said. Yeah, I met her. She was, uh, she was sort of like a sort of sun-kissed and interesting. I fell a bit in love with her at a sort of an outdoor event, a garden party for A.A. Gill. I met Molly Dineen. She had something about her. She was like a female Indiana Jones. Is that why... Because what made you get that documentary? Because it's quite old and specific. And... I got given them, I think, by none other than Simon Amstel. Like, he gave me really? a bunch of these things. And I met her, and I found her very interesting, and I felt that feeling of guilt that I'd not seen any of her work. You know, 
Um, I know it's immature, but I found something in that documentary that a man does a fart when he's been interviewed. That's extraordinary. There's someone to do a fart in a documentary. Have I done a fart on the radio? Brave. Yeah, you've done farts on the radio. I've done farts in TV interviews with massive stars. I've done farts in situations where I can't (laughs) believe I've done it. I can't believe I'm actually doing this. I'm sitting here farting in front of, I don't know, Adam Sandler or something. Really? I've just done it. Well, are you ready for this? Yeah, go on. Proof. 26 years I've worked for the society. And clearly audible. (laughs) That's a fart. 26 years I've worked for the society. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it doesn't even care. It carries on, doesn't it? It doesn't bother him. I mean, that's working in a zoo for you. 26 years. I've worked for the society. And the society. I've looked what it's done for my manners. I've noticed that exact phenomenon in a few documentaries. Fart phenomenon. Yeah, it happens in Grizzly Man. You know that thing about the man who was, well, I don't want to ruin the ending, but eaten by bears. You he know, thought that he really was vibing with the bears, but it turns out the bears saw him as little more than a snack. Yeah. And an irritant. Yeah. And uh, Timothy Treadwell, he was. Timothy Treadwell. Treadwell had been with the Bears. What's his name? The documentary maker. Werner uh, Herzog. Werner Herzog. Timothy Treadwell went to live on a bear reserve to protect bears that were never in any danger in the first place because they were on a bloody bear reserve in Alaska and they were never under any threat. But Timothy Treadwell thought he'd intervene. And now, he you made, heard, yeah, and he, he paid uh, a high price. Made lots of um, videos of himself there. He used to take. He actually took a woman there, and that's when he got eaten, and she got eaten as well. I think they both got eaten by bears. But I mean, that's all very tragic. But the true horror is that in one of the interviews, and I'll get the audio as well. Someone does a fart, just he, like that. He does. Huh? Who does this? No, not him. He's dead. Oh, what, someone that's talking about... It's a policeman who's getting... Comes, I think it's a policeman from... A, he's still by his helicopter, and he just doesn't if can, care. If you can fart in front of a helicopter and still be heard... In a documentary. That's a commitment. The helicopter's off. Now listen to a sting for a radio show you're already listening to. See if you recognise the voices. Podcast. I just texted with my name. Don't, don't speak while I'm about to. <laughs> oh, no, don't. This is the Russell Brand Podcast. This is the Russell Brand Podcast. Oh, my God, I've got them trapped. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. So there was that. That's amazing, Stephen Fry's voice, isn't it? It's and Miranda's, but, like, it's... So pal- identifiable. Yeah. Powerful. Do you know what he's um, talking of impressions? It's hard to do an impression of Stephen Fry because he's got, you know, in his nose, he's got sort of like um, a, he's got like something st- that can't be replicated. <laughs> I don't say deformed nose because that'd be, but he's got like curvature. Yeah, and so there's a sort of nasal can't be replicated. Very hard to replicate without pressing your nose in. Do you know this from the impressionist man? Yeah, Terry. That's told what me he that. says. He goes, you can't recreate some, it. Yeah, some people, the structure of their um, means it can't be replicated. Yeah, it means. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, that wasn't meant to be anyone. I was just saying, if he was doing someone else. <laughs> this is the Ross. Okay, it's impossible to do. I'm doing some more promo for a show you're already listening to. Mick, say you're listening to the Russell Brand podcast with Russell and Matt. I'm listening to the Russell Brand podcast with Russell and Matt. Now say that you're listening to the Russell Brand podcast with Russell and Matt. (laughs) You're listening to the Russell Brand podcast with Russell and Matt. Excellent. Okay, well, we've had a, a lovely journey uh, here on the Russell Brand podcast, but what kind of a show would it be without a professional summary from Mr. G? And we're going to deliver that to you now. Take it away, G. 
A proton met a neutron and asked it for a dance, sending electrons spinning, tissue bombing for podcasts. What began as elemental compounds to the complex, blanket ends are justified by blanket needs that must be met, are to harmonize with nature, to be at one with all creation, impressed by the impression, the converse of conversation. Let's visit the land where ferrets fly. Goats and foxes cross the lines. Cats face that awkward thunder like mumra memories from a child. From 93 until infinity, mischief souls attempt their synergy. But where does the zoo end and society begin? It's all a question of vicinity. Well done. That's a bloody good poem. That poem will be available as a prize, I think. What? <laughs> well, why not have it as a prize? Or keep them all together as a compendium. Oh, I thought you meant the audio of it. But you mean the paper it's written on. Contribute your own jingles as well. Any content you want to send us, send it to Russell and Matt at audioboom.com or just go to audioboom.com and uh, leave us a message. Make some jingles for us, we'd like it. Suggest some items for us. No nostalgia? Any nostalgia? People will send us pin pin. Get ready to be pin pinned oh, out. Oh no, don't bring that back. That's still <laughs> painful for me. Um, the yeah, go to audioboom.com. It's very easy. Just press a red button and then you can actually speak almost directly to us. To you by Audio Boom.